This is Women Who Rock, a podcast promoting Australian female musicians and artists, and I'm very happy to say that I am joined by Sally from Sydney jazz punk band Finger May. Sally also does sound at a venue in Newtown, which is frequented pretty heavily by me. Sally, thanks so much for coming on to Women Who Rock. Thanks for having me. Jazz punk is a really interesting mashing of genres, but I think it's a pretty apt description for Finger May. I was interested, you use some pretty complex voicings of chords. Have you been playing jazz for a long time? I can't play jazz. Um, I've always wanted to play jazz, but I don't really have that sort of commitment. Um, I have more of a punk attention span. Okay. um, (laughs) Just really, uh, I I took a lesson from a a teacher a long time ago that you could pretty much just play whatever you like, and if it sounds good, that's that's jazz. Okay. kind of my approach. So you didn't go into it saying, I want to be a jazz musician? I, I'd love to be able to play like James Muller or, um, you know, the endless modul- modal solos and things, yeah. but, <laughs> but I'm, I'm probably not going to sit down and practice for six hours a day. Yeah, because I was so. thinking, you know, it's a really complex way to start with. <laughs> yeah. Love and jazz. I saw you do a solo set with Finger May at Chicks with Picks, yeah. and you started off by saying, hi... I'm Finger May. If you have any requests, keep them to yourself. Now, my point is, your banter game is really strong. What kind of comedy are you into? A lot. I don't know specifically what. I've, 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 I used to listen to a lot of stand-up. and I had a go at stand-up briefly. I sort of bombed out. Oh, really? Badly. It's, it's, it's something that I, I wanted to pursue, but I figured I'd probably have to do a lot of coke to make it work. <laughs> Um, so how long ago did you... Have you only done it once, or have you done it multiple times? I, I did I did Raw Comedy 2011, I think it was. Okay. That's probably 2011, 2012. I, I came runner-up. I, th- I think I might have got penalised for making fun of one of the other contestants. Because okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've always kind of thought that I'd love to do it just once. And a lot of yeah. people say that getting up and doing it, it's like one of the bravest things to do. Just like just before you went up and did the first time... Is it excruciating? Is it super hard? No, but you've got to be in the right mood. And okay. hence, hence the probably, I think a lot of people do use a lot of stimulants. But um, yeah. I can't imagine doing it when you're not feeling bouncy and and fast. Okay. So it's not necessarily but, cathartic all the time? No. I don't know. It was, it was fun. It was also weird. Like, I found comedians to be super bitchy. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's a little bit of a different world to musicians. or Yeah, it's it's not like you go and play a gig and everyone's like, oh, yeah, dig your stuff, man. It's like it's like you go there and they're like, did you fucking steal my joke? Like, <laughs> wow, like, more of like a competitive. It was very, it was, there was this really weird gig at, um, uh, I can't remember the name. It's it's the bar on um, George Street. It might be defunct by now. But there was, there was an open mic there, and it was, it was the week where Rudd deposed Gillard, and, like, three of the comedians had written a song about it, and two of them had even parodied the same song. Oh, really? And <laughs> really thought they were going to go each other. It was just so tense. Oh, and wow. Okay. I was, I was the only one there that wasn't making jokes about Gillard. So I was, I was still doing music. Like, I was still doing musical comedy. Like, I was playing songs and and intro- introducing them and touring, telling stories and things. Okay. So did you have, like, a, a tight five-minute routine? Is that how you went into it? 
Yeah, it's pretty much just a like a two to three minute song and and a few jokes around it. I I never I've never done the comedy on its own thing. I, I don't think I'd I think I'd probably actually I think it was a way to trick myself into thinking it wasn't public speaking by holding a guitar. Okay, <laughs> so it was more kind of musical performance comedy. Yeah, it was. It was yeah. It was it was always a hybrid sort of thing. But okay. I've, yeah, I find I find performing in musical settings, um, it's just a bit easier and more fun. It's easier, definitely easier to get into. Yeah. Um, comedy comedy was fun. Like a, a few of the gigs were, I did like six, I think. Like a, probably half of them were really fun, and half of them were left me wondering what I was doing with my life. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, being on stage can uh, can do that. Yeah. <laughs> I I have a book that has transcripts from Bob Dylan interviews. And I'm going to paraphrase it. He said something like, in the early 1960s, when there was a new band, the question wasn't, what does this sound like? What are the songs like? But what are they trying to say? What is the message? Do you think that Finger May has an overarching message? Because <laughs> uh, I think it's more, it's, it's somewhat politically driven. If the message is, I hate you all, leave me alone, you might be onto something there. Okay. <laughs> so you don't sit down and think, we are trying to project this thought onto the world? Um, at, at this point, I'm, I'm writing all the songs. Um, we're open to other two songs from Jackie and Lauren, but they're not really seeming to want to yet. We haven't discussed that. Maybe we should cut that out. <laughs> um, but... Uh, I, I don't think that there's a, a unifying driving theme for the band. It's it's more stuff that I want to rant about. Okay. Um, I, I do tend to be pretty politically engaged, and I do find that my favourite way to air frustrations is to bash a guitar and yell. Mm. Um, preferably in a way that's funny so I can get away with it and do it again. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that that is a great segue. I actually didn't know that you had done that musical comedy before. But what I'd like to do is to take uh, have a listen to one of your, I think, most recent single. Uh, it's called Not Racist But. I was listening to it again today, and there's some lines in there that I thought that really got me. They're pretty good. I Let's have a listen to it, and then maybe we'll come back and have a bit of a chat about how that song came to be. So let's hear now. This is Finger May with Not Racist But. Granddad fought in World War I to save the lucky country. He said he'd gladly do it all again. If our freedoms ever came to be curtailed, it was his duty to stand up and stand for our great southern land. Granddad's gone and things are not that simple anymore. I try to soldier on, but it's an unpopular cause. My country's all been lost and now I'm trying to reclaim it Every day I feel attacked with being such a proud Australian It's gotten so bad I can't make a colour joke at work Nobody laughs and I get sent to HR Can't start shit on the train with any women wearing burgers Without people filming me or calling for the guards You can't say half the words that we grew up with anymore can't build footy players or call anyone a name Black faces off limits and hairdressers out of style They'll never take my dreadlocks and the ditch comes to my grave It's getting harder for a battle to stand up for true blue Without some training to PC can't telling you what to do Granddad wouldn't recognise these new rules of engagement Every day I feel attacked for being such a proud Australian 
I ordered coffee white with sugar, always ask for none allowed, but I can taste it in there almost half the time. I don't push police or force my culture onto anyone, but they can put that shit into my vision mind. On our national day we should all come together to rejoice, but I can't enjoy my land without reminders. That my ancestors had questionable tactics moving in So screw the jobs well done and try not to think of bloodshed We stopped first but I'm impressed managed to survive us Our country's been invaded by those outside liberal whiners When I wear the flag that people frown me as a racist Every day I feel attacked for being such a bad Australian I'm sick of trying to read science, plotted up with dual language I've a couple of the building temples that I don't have to frequent No less spicy food can fuck off back to where it came from So long and thank you for the fun and chicken There's people learning English as a second language, not the first And in my mind that shit amounts to treason We have to put our foot down all before you know We'll speak Chinese and loud cancer for this season It seems like everywhere I turn there's people living their own lives In ways and their appearances that don't resemble mine All this diversity is confronting, I don't think that I can take it Every day I feel attacked with being such a proud Australian Feels like I am trapped in a toy raft with ineffective oars Struggling to push against the gentle waves that threaten to upend my world There's children standing in the wayside water Laughing at my life jacket But I'm not afraid to know when I'm out of my depth I look towards the Southern Cross to find my way back to Australia I'm on an express route skipping A-U-L and I Feel the why Just a flag for cover and slowly turning crimson I guess the symbols really don't protect you in the end Seems like everywhere I turn there's people living their own lives In ways and in appearances that don't resemble mine All this diversity is confronting I don't think that I can take it Every day I feel attacked with being such a bad strain That is Finger May with Not Racist But I really like the line It feels like I'm trapped in a toy raft with ineffective oars. The there is I'm I'm privy to the story behind that song. Can you tell us about the event that you saw that led to you writing that song? Yeah, um, I've been at Gordon's Bay one day with a few friends, and um, it was just towards the end of the day, and we were getting ready to leave. And we saw uh, two men dressed head to toe in the Australian flag, um, Australian flag towels on the beach uh, even Australian flag thongs uh, one one guy was filming the other guy in an Australian flag decorated inflatable um, and he was he was just sort of um, ineffectually rowing out to sea but like not going anywhere didn't talk to them or anything they, they sort of um, said hi and we you know being a group of, of lesbians glared at them uh, um <laughs> Someone from our group recognised, uh, said that they thought one of the guys was Nick Folks, and that sort of adds up because that's the sort of thing he would do. And I never figured out, I never tried to find the video or anything, but I just um, made an assumption that he was trying to make some sort of metaphor of rowing against the tide. Um, oh, I see. Okay. And um, I don't know, it, it, it could even be a, that, that song could, I might have just committed defamation, I don't know. But. Um, <laughs> That that was the inspiration for it. Okay, he was trying to row out to sea, but was it a media thing? Were there people there like filming what he was doing? No, or it not was, really. There was one guy filming and one guy in the boat, but like it was, he was trying to make it look like he couldn't row against the tire, but the the surf was really gentle. Okay, 
<laughs> so it was like sort of just just barely dipping the rose in the the oars in the water. Okay, and... thwarted by nature. Yeah. Was... Yet again. It's quite a lot of effort to go to to find all that all that Australiana merchandise. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, I read the John Safran book. Depends what you mean by extremist. Yeah. And the thing that I got from that movement, the United Patriots Front, is that it seems as though there was so much noise and so much media attention over such a, a relatively low-fi organisation. Yeah. It's... I guess it was kind of centred more around... There's more things happened in Melbourne, I can see, that what happened in Sydney, but... Yeah, I, I'm a little bit out of date because I haven't, haven't actually um, brushed up on my local racist organisations. Okay. <laughs> but um, it's, I think they just, hit, they just hit a nerve because it's just so, so ridiculously stupid and offensive, but it just really, it really angers people to see it being taken seriously, I think. From the lyricism, I'd like to move a little bit to the more technical side. One day uh, at the townie, we were having a chat about splitting a signal to a guitar amp and a bass amp, and you told me that making that pedal is not that difficult. Do you make your own pedals? Uh, I've made one. I made a loop pedal, um... As in, it would divert the signal. It would either, it would have a pass through channel, and it would also have. You could switch it to either divert it like a railway track, like it would take it off one channel and onto the other, or you could send it to both, like split it. Okay. Still got it somewhere. Um, it's a very ugly pedal because I'm not <laughs> I'm not really into the silk. Uh, what do you call it? This the screen painting this yeah. stuff. So do you um, have? Did you learn that by yourself, or do you did you study some kind of music electronics? Or? I, I googled that one. Oh really? Okay. Um, no, I've I've done I mostly Google things. Um, just as an aside, uh, Remy Phillips makes pedals. He's a very I don't know if you know him. Yeah, I've yeah. seen him at the townie. <laughs> yeah. A lot of the good things that I've learned about life, I learned at the townie. I I just gave him a bunch of old pedals that I um was saving to try to learn more about, but of just not got time for anyway so if you see some horrible noises popping up that's i might have contributed to that the, f- <laughs> the first time i saw remy play he did this like 20 minute thing where he was on stage and playing and like changing all the switches and dials on all his pedals so he's like a gear man i guess i get reviews from management sometimes and one that stuck with me from remy was uh from one of the managers said, uh, "It just—it was just three words. Sounds like pain. So. <laughs> Sounds like pain. It's good to get it out on stage than anywhere else, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Which also, I mean, one of the things that I find really fascinating is that you're a very active musician, but you also do sound. So I'd kind of like to delve into that a little bit. I'm just wondering if we experience being on stage." in a different way. Is it harder when you're on stage to kind of get lost in the moment if you're also thinking about, you know, what's happening with the mids or where are the vocals in the mix? Uh, only if it's my venue where I'm t- where I'm sort of in control of it a little bit. Okay. Um, so, like, only really when I'm playing at the townie because I'll generally have an iPad mixer nearby and the temptation to fuck with things is a bit... Um, <laughs> Is a bit hard to ignore, and and the band know they can say they can talk to me for the, you know, if they want more whatever in the monitors yeah. rather rather than talking to the front of house, and it's it, it's a it is a bit hard to get into a good headspace playing there when when I'm involved in it, but anywhere else it's just 
it's not it's not that hard. You just have to sort of like you just have to trust whoever's mixing you and, and let go of it. Okay. Um, it, I'd say it is easier for me to talk to mixers though because I, I know what they I know how to I know the language. Yeah. But, yeah. Okay. And how to how to um not anger them and yeah <laughs> you know all the tricks yeah the that also does that flow into recordings as well because you have such a sort of strong technical background does it make being in the studio a kind of different thing as well where you're more hands-on to what's going on i'm not sure if it does really like at the, at the moment i've gone full diy that that one we just played was i recorded every part of that but the album before that i actually made a point of trying not to be not to be in control of it because okay. I, I wanted I wanted some outside input I, I work with somebody I respect a great deal Brian Compo and came out with a really different sort of thing than I would have done on my own like I, I would have done something more of a more along the punk rock sort of sort of lines but um you know it ended up with much more of a weird pop sort of thing with Brian and then we argued about it at the end and that was <laughs> And that was probably a, something I should have seen coming. But well, but. yeah, I guess if some of that creative control is rested away, it's hard to let it all go. But it is good to get that extra yeah. set of ears. No, it's. I think that was. I, I stand by that choice. I'm happy to have done it. Uh, I learned a lot too. Um, I, I'd really disagree with how high Brian likes the vocals, but other than that, I okay. really, really enjoyed it and. Um, um, really grateful to have had that chance. It's interesting you mentioned that because is it the thing with comparison between rock and pop, the vocals are more buried in a rock track compared to a pop track? So I, I guess it depends on the style of the rock. Like grunge, I think they sit a little bit lower because mm. they're not that important. It's, it's more important about how loud your flannelette is. kind of studio experience to doing it DIY does that come with its own kind of set of frustrations as well uh, I, I, I I enjoy the DIY thing um, like Brian's Brian's studio was, was still a small studio it's it's just just him there it's not a team of, of minions or anything um, DIY at home the, the main frustration is aircraft noise and housemates but, okay. um, but I've, I've actually just moved to my own place and it has double glazed windows, and that's amazing. Nice. And so I'm looking forward to getting into a bit more of that now. But, um, so did you do drums in a DIY setting? Uh, that song we just played, we recorded the drums at Lauren's house. Um, Lauren is the drummer. Um, it took four hours to set everything up, and then one and a half hours to troubleshoot why my rig kept crashing. <laughs> which, um, the, the answer to that was because it was a 2013 MacBook, and it doesn't like running a 16-channel interface. Okay. Um, and that after an hour and a half, you figured that out? <laughs> after an hour and a half, we figured out that... I don't know why it was crashing, other than maybe it was just not enough processing power, but I figured out that the, the way to, to get it going was basically to restart the computer every time every time the screen froze. So we, we'd do, like, one or two takes. It would freeze, reboot, which takes, like... 10 minutes or whatever take take a break get back into it and that's a very IT crowd solution it to was that problem. <laughs> yeah it was it was definitely a 
um, turn it on and off again solution, but um, it, it worked. We, we did drums for about three or four songs, I think. So we've got more to come out of that session. Okay, yeah. so what I'm interested also in the mixing and mastering. Do you get involved? Because we were talking about Pro Tools off air just before. Are you heavily involved with the mixing and mastering? Do you take that on? Well, I, I mixed that one. Like, I did everything except mastering on that one. Uh, the only one I've mastered for release for myself is uh, the song before that, Topsy Turvy, which was just a cajon, a guitar and vocal. Um, so it was pretty easy. Mastering is kind of... Uh, I don't like using cliches, but it, I think it really is kind of a dark art. I spent quite a lot of time trying to learn it and made a lot of progress, and I'm still hopeless. Okay. Um, <laughs> There's just so much to learn. Yeah. That's why I've kind of been, every time we've been in the studio, I've let someone else. I haven't been, had the, the time to deal with that frustration. But I'm yeah. also still, I have a bit of an understanding about the difference. Could you give a concise, you've had a go at both, could you give a concise description about the difference between the mixing and the mastering process? Yeah. Uh, mixing is putting the pieces together and mastering might be sort of sanding it down or lacquering it. Okay. Yes. That's actually, I think, a pretty good analogy. <laughs> so it's kind of the finishing touches. Yeah, like it's... um. Like, your, your mix hopefully sounds good on its own, but then mastering, you shave out little bits of redundant sounds, like, um, it makes it really sort of, makes the beat thump more, and makes the vocals just that bit clearer in area, makes mm -hmm. the whole thing sort of sparkle. It's, it's really, it's a real, um, it's, it's really hard to, to get your head around, but, um, yeah, it's, like, because you could, like, you might treat the... I've been trying to learn mid-side mastering recently. Um, I did did that with Topsy Turvy, but it's so hard with a, with the band because it's like um, it's just like taking it from three D to to seven D or whatever. Oh wow! Okay, you have such an interesting insight because you kind of had a go at all the things: being on stage, being behind the stage with the iPad, doing the recordings, doing the mixing and mastering. How long have you been doing sound? Uh, about six years. Six years. Just just on mastering, I was going to say... Sure. I was going to say I got a lot of help from William Bounden when I asked him. He's very nice. Okay. Gave. Good to ha have mentors when you're stepping into the void. I, could, I didn't ask him how to master, but he gave me a lot of help with mixing and okay. gave feedback and stuff. Ah, uh, yeah, so you yeah. have been doing sound for like six years. I'm yeah. interested to get your insight into changes in technology... Because I know now that you buzz around with an iPad, and you're... Are you, like, dynamically controlling... Uh, the iPad's more like a MIDI controller for the mixer. Um, like, it doesn't process any audio. It's just, uh, it's just a remote control to the engine at back of the desk. Okay. You, c you can do the entire thing on there. Um, before I got the Q24 at work, I had the Q-Pad, which is the same engine. Uh, the, this is the branded mixer, the Allen & Heath Q24 Q-Pad. Versus Qpad. Um, sorry, Qpad is the app. Is the app. Qpack is the mixer. I did do it on an iPad only for about six months, maybe nine months, and that was a really bad idea because I got a cubital tunnel and carpal tunnel. Ooh. Just from, just from the, sort of holding holding an object really? in one position all night and using very fine motor control yeah. all, all night. I wasn't using a stylus either, which is. The, the physiotherapist told me I was an idiot for that. Okay. 
But um, do they have? St- oh, they probably have styluses, don't they? I don't have an iPad, so <laughs> yeah, you can get a stylus for it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Very easy to lose, I assume. <laughs> yeah, I had to buy them in bulk, but um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, holding holding on to an iPad for like a, the sh- the shortest gigs are usually around uh, around uh, three hours, but some of them are more like six to seven. That was that was very bad, and I've I've just got to do like stretches every day now for to stave that off. Oh but, really? Because um, in the physio, because uh, the once you, once you've got cubital tunnel and carpal tunnel, like the the nerves are sort of just ready to flare up. Still, oh. I, was, I was getting electric shocks in my arms and things. Wow, but um, that's a tough job. <laughs> <laughs> I was, it's just um, it's also getting old. It's um, you know everything starts to break. Yeah. But, the okay, so the iPad is not giving you the feedback that you're getting is from your ears, and you're using the iPad as a control. It's not telling you about what's happening at the lower frequencies, or or is it? Uh, I don't really know what you're doing. <laughs> I think it. I don't think it has a meter in it. I think it, what some of the brands have a have a RTAS meter, which I don't even know what that stands for, but that's that's the one that gives you the graph of the frequencies. Okay. But no, it's it's just ears. It's it's literally like just carrying the mixer around with you. It's because um, it just it just has all the controls on there. Obviously, the mixer's a lot faster too because it's a tactile surface, and you can grab a few faders at once. Like the mm. the iPad's one control at a time because it's not a multi gesture surf- surface. So, is that the main technological advancement over the last six years when you're doing sound in a live venue, having that um, control? Are the the iPads? is um is a major thing like being able to being able to line check people from the stage and talk to them there and you know actually it helps you make, make things happen a lot faster because you're not you know 10 meters away talking yeah. to them over a microphone and they're getting distracted by everything and mm. and it's just it's it's just so much easier when you can hear what they're hearing on the monitors and but I, i'd say in the last six years or whatever the digital mixes have just sort of become quite standard um, like when I started, there was still like the lower end venues all still mostly had crappy old analog things, and mm. like I used to carry a compressor and a reverb unit around because some of the places I'd go wouldn't have any of that. And it's just like everyone's either got a Behringer X32 or a or a Q24 or something now. Cool. Or the cheapest one around is the Soundcraft one, I think. Well, Sally, thank you so much for coming on. I think you've given us a really interesting insight into all the facets. I've been really looking forward to this chat and I appreciate having you on Women Who Rock. Oh, thanks for having me. You can't help that you are from the past She can't hurry Make it up to the people you put in last Well, it's a tough to tell the world Trying to keep up the sort of you like to admit But if you're way up life Women Who Rock is proudly produced in the Sydney studios of Do As We Are 107.3.